0: Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and together, Bruce and I have written almost three dozen cookbooks, including, you need this for the summer, the Boozy Blender. Mm. Mm. all about how to make frozen slushy drinks of all kinds of wild types, photographed by the fabulous Evan Sung. Beautiful photographs in the Boozy Blender. Check that out. As well as the ultimate party drink book, one of our first books. Over 200,000 copies in print, Ultimate Party Drink Book has hundreds, thousands of different ways to turn all kinds of crazy wild punches, frozen drinks, cocktails, highballs into your next party favorite. And that leads us straight into our first topic. All about hard seltzer. Oh, hard seltzer is a thing. Oh my goodness, this, it's, it's a thing. It's to, especially a thing. The older you are, the less you're going to know that hard seltzer <laughs> is a thing. It is especially a thing with the kids. But um, if you're up at my age, you might just be discovering hard seltzer. And
1: basically, I mean, hard meaning there's alcohol in it, and yep. seltzer meaning it's bubbly water-based, yeah. but they are primarily light, fruity cocktails in a can. Yeah,
0: and canned cocktails are a thing if you're, if you, again, if you're up at my age, you don't know this probably but i can tell you that people like blake lively are bringing out lines of canned cocktails it is a huge market the cocktails in a can and seltzers are kind of like cocktails i do i don't know why i don't you want to use that word why do not i not want to use the word cocktail for them i think it's because most of them are not that pumped up in the alcohol when i think well, no. of cocktails i think of you know a hit i yeah. think of an alcohol hit no
1: and it's true and these hard seltzers I mean, they're mostly about 4% alcohol. Some are as low. There's one Lilo. The brand Lilo comes in at 3.5% alcohol. And Pabst Blue Ribbon makes one. And Bud Light (laughs) Wait, wait,
0: wait, wait. Pabst Blue Blue Ribbon Ribbon. makes a hard Okay, you know then that the hipsters are into it. If (laughs) PBR is making hard seltzer, A, you know it's a trend. And B, you know the kids are into it. Well, Bud
1: Light is also making one at
0: 8%. All the and big beer makers yes, make seriously. them.
1: But the thing is, they started life as malt beverages. And I don't think right? people
0: know this because you'd have to remember all the way back to Zima. If you're I'd older. remember
1: Zima? you remember that?
0: I do remember. I have never actually tasted it. If you're actually born actually in the
1: 80s, it. you'll remember Zima came out in the 90s. Like if you're born in the
0: 80s, you're not drinking Zima when no, you're eight years old. but you'll remember it. No, you're...
1: when you're born in the
0: 60s or 70s, <laughs> you'll remember it. Yeah, here, here's my seven-year-old. He's drinking a Zima <laughs> out on the might front remember...
1: porch. <laughs> Good well, God. it was only 4% alcohol.
0: No. Oh, great. Oh, fine. Give my first grader a Zima when he comes home from and school. And it's a
1: clear malt beverage. It was slightly sweet. Okay. It really bombed. I mean, David Letterman used to make fun of it all the time well the name I mean, zima is well that's just russian for winter i mean that's where the name comes wait from. what the word zima is russian for winter. i thought it was
0: like some warrior princess superhero <laughs> Zina. oh whatever uh, no zima
1: is russian for winter
0: did i tell you i'm about to go on <laughs> medicare um anyway uh yeah, so, uh, oh, great. Uh, Zima is Russian for winter. I'm sure I had no clue. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> most hard seltzers are made from, uh, these days, a sugar-fermented alcohol without malt. Most, the some still do. there are do. still malt ones out there. There are, and
1: we're actually going to try one at okay. the end of this segment. Um, Higher-end ones, though, actually have vodka in them. Like Kettle One makes one, an absolute vodka. They call theirs absolute vodka sodas. And one that we really like made with vodka is called High
0: Noon. Yep. And High Noon has become a real favorite in our house. We do not accept sponsorship from them, nor are we being underwritten by High Noon or in any way compensated for saying this, but we're going to taste a High Noon when it looks like I see them lined up here in a minute. And I have to tell you, it's a favorite at our house. We took my brother, if you listen to this podcast, you know this, that my brother and his family were here for a week. Uh, You know this from the last episode. And we took them out to a private lake club while they were here and they kayaked and did all this stuff paddle boarded and all that kind of stuff. And we spent the day out there and our friends who were hosting us brought high noon in a huge cooler, these all these cans of wine, along with Dr. Peppers for the kids. And why not giving my 13 year old nephew a high noon? So um, <laughs> even though you're gonna give your first grader a zima <laughs> Excellent. Um so anyway, we
1: enjoyed them there. That's the first time we came across them. And I have to tell you that I was a little wary to try it because I still had the Zima thing going on in my head. I'm like, ew, hard seltzer, isn't that like, aren't I like in living in a trailer and sitting think. on the road in a beat up upholstered couch that's and- why i
0: honestly think the target market for this is 20 year olds because they are no seriously because they don't they were not around during the zima craze no they weren't and they were not around during the zima collapse oh
1: <laughs> the fame <laughs> 90s zima collapse
0: they were not around during the zima collapse it still was part of the dot-com bust you had to be alive then and uh the, I think that the, that it's appealing to this audience that didn't have any bad taste in their mouth mm-hmm. Aha. based okay. on what had come before.
1: And there are and they're not even just vodka. There's Jose Cuervo makes a hard seltzer that's tequila based. So you can get them with different alcohols in them. And as I said, they range between three and a half and eight percent um alcohol. They're really Low calorie. You a 100 calories per 12-ounce yep. can. Yep. You're talking anywhere from zero grams sugar to five grams sugar. Which so is really nice. You're talking about having a nice, refreshing drink with only two two carbs in it, which yeah, is a really drinks. nice
0: thing if you're trying to watch your carbs. Yeah, and in fact, they can even get lower. I've even seen carb-free ones. Yep. And, and the, uh, many of them do not use gluten-free thickeners read the label carefully so they can be carb-free and gluten-free kind of amazing um and and again they range all over the place and they come in all kinds of flavors so i understand we're going to taste a few well we are we're going to taste
1: some fruit flavors because we like and look when we tried the high noon at the lake that our friends were we were drinking mango Mm -hmm. um, but they also make peach which we're going to try today and black cherry and passion fruit those kind of flavors i could i could really get along with but there are some brands that have flavors like maple pancake Ew. and frozen hot chocolate. Ew. We're not trying this. No.
0: ah, oh, God. No. I am not d- drinking maple pancake <laughs> hard seltzer. <laughs> it's disgusting. Or frozen hot chocolate. No. Oh, God. We were walking down the street in New York once and I was like, there must be a donut place around here because <laughs> I like suddenly smelled donuts and it was only uh, that we realized that the guy walking in front of us was vaping don- like glazed donuts was the flavor flavor. flavor of what he was vaping and we could smell it so weird because I was like uh where's the donut shop so no I don't want to eat maple flavor pancakes it's like vaping maple pancakes that's
1: gross so we're going to try the high noon peach which neither of us have tried yet and this is made with vodka real fruit juice it says sparkling water and natural flavors and this comes in at four and a half percent alcohol I'm pouring it and it is clear and bubbly yeah, that's pretty clear. And oh, we only have one glass each, so we have to finish what's in our glass to drink the next one.
0: Hmm. Oh, that's right. There's no there's no like wine tasting spit. No, boxes. I didn't put a spit bubble. I can't I can't really drink vodka this early in the morning. Well, well I suppose sense. since I'm about ready to apply for Medicaid <laughs> well, I suppose I really can drink vodka. It's this actually early it's morning. not
1: very sweet. I think the mango one is sweeter. To be honest, it tastes a little like the peach syrup in a can of cling peaches mixed with seltzer. Yes, it does.
0: Um, I, it's not. I can tell you that the peach is not my favorite. Uh, I've had the passion fruit from High Noon, and I've had the mango, and I like those a lot better. And I like the black cherry a lot better. This is okay. It and the black like... cherry is pink, too. For some reason, they decided to color that one when they didn't color this one. Yeah, the mango. And this is okay. I wouldn't I wouldn't race home to, to drink this, but I do like it. Um, it's certainly super refreshing. And if you like the flavor of Hostess peach pies, well, (laughs) you'll like
1: this. And now we're going to try the Topo Chico. we're going to try the Topo Chico, they're a uh, sparkling mineral water that um, everyone... Right, drinks down right, in the right, south. I know right. our friend Catherine loves it in yes. Austin. That's like her favorite sparkling yes, water. Yes, so yes. it's a sparkling mineral water base. Um, they don't use vodka. They're using fermented sugar alcohol. And we are going to try the strawberry guava. Uh, it's
0: fermented sugar alcohol? Isn't it just like grain alcohol or ethanol? Or, I mean, isn't that what they're putting in? Oh, gosh, you're filling my glass. No, I'm be... it's
1: just putting like ethanol. No, no,
0: no, no, no. I can't drink this much. I don't know. It's spit
1: cup you sh- you did not plan this podcast well I oh should- look i'm smell i went to sm- i went to smell my drink and i'm smelling the mic now this is strawberry guava
0: yeah um this is much much lighter than high noon. In fact, yes, this almost
1: it, feels like uh, there's no flavor. It's yeah, like this
0: scented water. This is very lightly flavored. Um, I actually kind of like it a bit because it's not an overpowering fruit hit. No, I'm backing it's just away like from, an from the microphone. Essence. I'm getting drunk and backing away from my microphone. So I'm starting to sound like him in the next room. In fact, I'm going to go lie down here in a minute and then just do the podcast prone. <laughs> I love using the
1: word prone. And the thing is, we have a whole other podcast to do when we finish. Now, we're going to try one more. This one is Bud Light. Wait, i got to finish this? (laughs) God, i got to finish my cocktail before I can go on. (laughs) So the Bud Light Platinum Seltzer is 8% alcohol. Um, Okay, you can't pour me much of this one. No. i got to work today. This is Blood Orange. Uh, this is made with malted rice. So this is actually a malt beverage. Yep. Fermented and
0: cane sugar. And you notice sugar. it's a malted beverage, but it says hard seltzer on the can. So, again, read those labels. Look at what you're getting. Don't be afraid to read the labels. There's tons of these hard seltzers that are running around in this world. So blood orange blood and orange.
1: 8% alcohol. That's. i got to say I'm not crazy about the smell of it. It's Zima-ish. It is Zima-ish. I think that's because it's a malt beverage. I don't like the malt beverage. Sorry bud
0: light blood i am orange, sticking
1: to the non-malted you know
0: what What i like you're right and what i like about high noon and even the topo chico what i like about them is that they are super clean they have the seltzer feel still to them mm-hmm. and so it still feels like i've got this bubbly water it just happens to have a little buzz to it or i get a little buzz from it and it has a really nice flavor. This tastes like something else.
1: This tastes like something that is made. Mm-hmm. It tastes right. It it. it, it. It doesn't it, taste have that light. No, this doesn't taste like someone just threw together a quick light cocktail. This tastes like mm. it's trying to be a beer, but it's not a beer. But mm-hmm. there's something else going mm-hmm. on. And that's the malted rice in there. I don't like it. Yeah, I'm not. This one I'm not a fan of. Uh, okay. Sorry, Bud
0: Light. Uh, uh, I, maybe there are other flavors that would be better. But well, again, we have some upstairs. Okay, again, it's got that, that, that malted beverage flavor to it. And you're right. It is very Zima-esque, mm-hmm. even though I never tried Zima. <laughs> but now I know why they made fun of Zima. Even though I never had it, I assume it's Zima-esque because Zuma was... Zuma. Zuma. I've really had a lot to drink because Zuma was a malt beverage. Zuma. Zuma is the downscale warrior princess that is Zena's sister who's fallen on hard times. Okay. Well, gosh. Uh, Before we get to the next segment of this podcast, I really would appreciate it if you would subscribe, rate the podcast, drop a rating, particularly on Audible or Apple Books, wherever you are, whether you're in the UK... US, Canada, New Zealand. We see that our listeners come particularly from Canada, New Zealand, and the US. Thank you for being here wherever in the world you are listening to us. Oh, we also see there's a fair contingent of you coming from Brazil. So nice. Thank you very much for doing that and drop a rating and a reply even just nice podcast on any platform that you're listening to that you can do that that will help us because as we've said a thousand times we are not sponsored and we are not supported okay up next segment two our one minute cooking tip and it is one that bruce knows everything about
1: i have said in the past that one of my favorite things is watermelon because it is my favorite to say the least it is my favorite food in the world to say the least Mm. i will also tell you that high noon makes a watermelon flavor And it tastes like Jolly Rancher candies. So just in case you're interested, if you you like Jolly Rancher Rancher candies. But this one-minute cooking tip is about watermelon. It's about picking the perfect watermelon. Now, if you've ever listened to Mark and me talk before, you have heard us say that when you buy fruit and it works for 95% of fruit, smell it. If it doesn't have a smell, it won't have a taste doesn't work with watermelon okay no it doesn't you can't smell through that rind
0: no you can't and in fact it's all about the belly spot so to talk about well a
1: belly spot is the place on the watermelon that was sitting on the ground that the sun didn't hit right Right. the rest of the watermelon turns green and this round spot or oblong spot doesn't turn green it starts out white and then it becomes yellow when it's yellow your watermelon is ripe if it's white the watermelon is not ripe so the yellower the belly spot the sweeter the watermelon and if the belly spot has
0: brown particularly brown big patches on it the watermelon is long past prime so just turn it over and look at that pale spot and it should be a yeah, distinctly yellow, yes, right? Not a be, pale no, yellow. It should
1: be. The brighter, the yellow, the best. Look through them all and get the one with the brightest yellow spot. And the second thing I would say about watermelon,
0: and this is already running over a one-minute tip, is remember that you want to buy one that is heavy to the hand. What does that mean? That means that it feels heavy when you pick it up. Not that it's going to break your back, but because usually heavy to the hand means more loaded with juice. Yeah. And after all, watermelon juice is delicious. And so the
1: way you do that is you like pick the two with the darkest yellow spots that are the same size Mm. whichever one is heavier is the one you get that's right okay up
0: segment three next our next segment bruce's interview with lauren thomas author of the modern hippie table i i would aspire to be a modern (laughs) hippie i look forward to hearing this interview
1: Today, we're talking to Lauren Thomas, also known as the modern hippie. She is the creative force behind the website, modern hippie Lauren covers food, entertaining lifestyle and travel and her first book, The Modern Hippie Table is a lifestyle cookbook. And it'll be out this fall. And I think the subtitle says it all recipes and menus for eating simply and living beautifully. Welcome, Lauren. Hi. So I want to start in a place that might surprise a few folks and I hope doesn't surprise you, but scanned your table of contents and you have a section with large type that says a guide to drinking whiskey. Uh, That caught my eye. So give me a rundown on the proper way to serve good whiskey, how to get the most in the glass, and why is that important?
2: Okay, so I'm not a whiskey, whiskey expert, but I love good whiskey. And, you know, I feel like there's just a... Like a stigma against women drinking whiskey. Sometimes I'll go to a bar and say, Oh, I'll like I'll have a glass of whiskey neat. And everyone around me kind of looks at me or the bartender looks at me. And I just, I'm like, why is that? And then when I was doing some research, I found out that you know, women during the Middle Ages, they were actually burned at the stake for selling whiskey. It goes back a long way. And, um, you know, during, during the prohibition, it was associated with like extramarital activities because they were, you know, whiskey was associated with brothels. They sold it in brothels. So it, it goes back, you know, in rooting into a you know male dominating drink, but actually 37% of people who buy whiskey in the U S are women. So I, I kind of wanted it to be this Fun addition to my cookbook, so that people, women, but people, weren't so intimidated by it. It's not a typical thing, you know, that people order or drink. Um, and my husband and I are both into drinking, you know, fine whiskeys or fine tequilas, neat by themselves. And there really is a technique to sipping and enjoying something that is fine and pure. So, uh, to me, whiskey, you know, straight fine whiskey is served best neat with just a little splash of water. And, you know, taking in all the senses of something, of anything, is really the way to go.
1: It's a drink that is so complex. I love that you teach people how to enjoy it.
2: You know, we use our senses. It's not just our mouths. You know, when people are taught to sip wine, there's a whole experience where you swirl it and you smell it and you allow it to open up and you know really good anything wine tequila um, whiskey i particularly love the smokiness of a japanese whiskey and so there is a technique you know it's best served in a tulip glass or a short rocks glass i like where that crystal beveled rocks glass kind of is like a prism and it's a, it's a very cool color. It's just very mysterious and is meant to be sipped. The
1: way you write about it and talk about it now, it really comes across as a, a multi-sensational experience. I think that's what really makes entertaining and sharing food and drink with friends so fabulous.
2: You got it. And that's the whole concept of my book. It's more than just the taste on, on the tongue. It's about the overall experience with all the senses.
1: In the book, you go into detail about creating the space, as you just said, as much as the food for a party you were gathering, and you call it creating intentional space. What does that mean?
2: Well, as I just said about the whiskey and ties in well, taste is, is only one of the many senses we have. You know, there's taste, touch, smell, hear and see. And then there's that sixth sense where when you walk into a room you know it um you you feel a certain way some people call it like um, kinematic sense or propriocentric sense but i call it just being aware of how people feel when they walk into my home that's the smells that's the the lighting That's the, the soft music. Maybe Um, I like to give people a little hint before they come to my home of what to expect, like sending them a little sample of the menu. And then I like to serve a cocktail, like that goes along with that theme. And I like to also have it ready when they get here, you know, sometimes people can politely decline, but most of the time they take it and they say, oh my gosh, this is so delicious. I never thought I would like whiskey or a Manhattan and people feel special. In that sense, when they walk in, you know, likewise, everyone sits down at your table and they feel, I I want them to feel special, whether it's my, my own family or company. I like decorating a tablescape, but then I like a little rosebud in front of each person's plate. I just like personal touches that make people leave feeling that sixth sense special goes beyond the menu. Um, It's just this feeling of, you know, gathering and being intentional about it.
1: You just mentioned that you sometimes share or tease at the menu. I go back and forth on that when I'm throwing dinner parties because I love the surprise of bringing out a dish and putting it down in front of somebody and then having to explain what it is. How do you balance that? That Because the surprise is nice, but letting people know what to expect is also interesting.
2: It is interesting and I do go back and forth. Um, sometimes I don't give a menu and, and quite simply, Sometimes it's because I don't know what I'm making until that day or night, depending on the company. But it is really cool, too, when people say, well, what can I bring? Everyone wants to bring a host or a hostess gift. And, you know, as a host, you you know, sometimes you don't want to say bring a dessert because we're control freaks. I want to make the dessert. So sometimes sending that menu before it also helps uh, guests know what to bring. They say, oh, this is a uh, dinner that was inspired by, um, you know, essence of florals. Maybe I'll bring flowers. So I think it's kind of cool too for the host to say, well, you know, you said you were making this. And so I thought this plant or this flower or this wine would go great with dinner.
1: I wanna talk about that interesting right there. If someone brings wine, what's your take on that? Do you, should you open that wine? Cause you've probably thought out your wines as well because yes. you've thought yes. everything out. So is that a gift that you'll save for another time? Or will you open it? I
2: pay attention to the guest. Sometimes they insist, you know, and and when they insist, if, for example, we have friends that know a a heck of a lot more about wine than we do. And in that case, we glad they say, oh, this is a uh, special wine that we bought in Florence on this day. And we thought of you guys. I think that's special to open that night.
1: You said that it's nice to have soft music going when people walk in. When you sit down at the table, what you take on music? Yes, or is it distracting?
2: I think yes. We play music every night at the table for our family of four. And it's totally different because we as a family, you know, speaking of intentional gatherings, sometimes we just sit in the living room and play music and talk about the music. But when you're talking to your guests, yeah, you want background music. So I love playing jazz when I cook because I like the way it makes me feel. When we have company over, and depending on what I'm cooking, it can be a great sort of in the background, you're still feeling it, right? It's like that that sense. It doesn't have to be in the foreground, but it sets a tone in a mood. And a lot of times it breaks the ice too. When you go, when you walk into a quiet room, sometimes you're like, Something's missing in here, you know, just and that's that sense that we talk about that, you know, part of an experience is that that is what are you hearing? And is it pleasant
1: when you entertain with a charcuterie board? Nothing is missing. You have a giant spread, beautiful meats and cheeses. Lots of people are doing it. You offer up some tips to make that kind of cooking and entertaining really successful. you share a few
2: charcuterie is becoming a huge thing as you know and a lot of people are intimidated by it because it is designed with food but you know there is a trick to wow people and it is don't use everything that's edible one of my biggest tricks is i love using florals in food specifically roses or herbs that i have um from the garden and a trick that i love is is when we When I make a a flower arrangement, you know, sometimes after a few days or a week, they kind of, the roses kind of start to wilt a little bit. And I like to pick those really full soft looking roses and those open up the best for a charcuterie board. And when, when flowers catch my eye like that and they're in a vase, I hate to throw them away. Sometimes I'll plan a charcuterie board around a beautiful purple rose.
1: Yeah, the cover of your book has that beautiful charcuterie board with those gorgeous roses. I love that you add non-edible elements. It just makes it look as beautiful as you know it's going to taste. And I want to talk about two specific recipes in your book, because after all, it, yeah. it is still a cookbook.
2: Yes, you, it
1: is. I hear you make a pretty mean burger. and I do. you share that recipe in your book? Can you share the secret of what keeps it so juicy with me?
2: I can, I can share some of the big secrets, okay. which for me is breaking up small pieces of the buns in the package. You know, there's uh, that old father of the bride movie where he goes, I don't want eight buns, I want six buns. And you know, sometimes you buy more buns than you need. Those extra buns are the genesis of of where I started using um, bread in my chuck mixture. So you just break up small pieces of the bun, like you would maybe like stuffing for Thanksgiving. And I put it and and I really massage it into my meat. I happen to like a medium well burger and this adding bread into it makes a medium well burger still juicy. So it kind of is foolproof when you're making it. It's it's like that secret to getting the temperature you want with um, and also still having it juicy if you like it on the well side.
1: As a modern hippie, I would expect from you a vegan recipe or two and you don't disappoint. You have a chocolate vegan donut with strawberry icing. The photo made my mouth water, tell me about them.
2: So we were having guests one night that were vegan and I was I was saying to myself, what can I make that's special, you know, and not store-bought. So I started doing some research and I made these green tea vegan donuts. And I was so impressed with the fact that they weren't fried, they were baked. And there was a flax egg involved, which for people who don't know is a combination of flax seeds and water and acts as a binding agent like an egg. So those were such a huge hit. And so I started experimenting in my kitchen with baked vegan donuts because you don't need butter and you don't need uh, eggs to make a delicious donut. So I came up with this recipe and applesauce is actually the you know secret ingredient to making it fluffy like an egg would. And I don't have I've met many people who don't like a, a chocolate donut with strawberry frosting. And so the special touch in these is I, I love using um, dried floral, edible florals for, for donut toppings. And in this recipe, I use uh, dried rose petals that you can buy on Amazon. And it just makes for a beautiful, um, special vegan presentation.
1: Lauren Thomas, you can find her at ModernHippieWay.com. Her first and new book will be out this fall, The Modern Hippie Table, Recipes and Menus for Eating Simply and Living Beautifully. You could pre-order it now. Lauren, thank you so much for sharing some insights with us.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Okay, that was
0: fantastic, and I will add also that while that interview was going on, I was not drinking any hard cider, so that's a good thing. Uh, I don't need to be any more buzzed than I currently am. So You're awful
1: nice. I am
0: awful nice. Um <laughs> I is am, it warm in here? Yeah, it is warm in here. You know it's interesting that I am I, I am a very snarky person, but I am not a mean drunk. I get very silly. No, you're not.
1: You get silly. I get
0: increasingly second gradery silly, like second grader with the giggles. It's really ridiculous. Okay, so our last segment is always the same. What's making us happy in food this
1: week? And you get to go first. Kimchi. It is uh, summer and I'm yum. making my own kimchi. It's. It. I will tell you it is actually easy to make. It is. Um, if you don't mind a little work, you just have to get some nice big Napa cabbages and then you have to make... And put on some
0: rubber gloves. Put on rubber
1: gloves and you've got to clean them and then you got to cook up like a little rice porridge using rice flour. And then you throw in lots and lots and lots and lots of chilies and salt and... I don't like to use the fermented shrimp or the raw squid. I just like fish sauce. That works fine for me. Smear that in with the cabbage. You can throw in some daikon and let it sit for a while. If you want to
0: see this, we have a YouTube video on our channel, Cooking with Bruce and Mark, and Bruce is making his kimchi. It's refrigerator kimchi. It is. I'm Um, not
1: letting that ferment at room temperature. Yeah, Joe, we don't Mm -hmm. do the room
0: temperature ferment. Um, We're not careful enough with our acidic and basic proportions and all that stuff the way many a Korean grandmother would would be instead we make refrigerator kimchi and i have to say the refrigerator has always got a big jug of it a big bottle i don't know what is it a carton of it in the refrigerator (laughs) all summer long and i love kimchi if you know me you know i eat hamburgers with mayo and kimchi so i love it okay what's happy me in food this week is potato salad Mm, Interesting. We're we're back to my brother being here with his family. And we had a picnic at the lake, as we discussed, and drank hard seltzers. And Bruce made fried chicken and potato salad. And Bruce's potato salad is fabulous because it has just enough potato to hold the bacon in place. (laughs) And no mayonnaise. That's why it's fantastic. (laughs) It's because he basically fries up a mess of bacon, (laughs) (laughs) chops it up. Pours all that bacon in there. Pours probably a little of the bacon fat no, in there. all of it. There. That's
1: the fat oh in the potato my salad. God. Plus oh, some olive oil. Oh my gosh! With the
0: Worcestershire and Dijon. And mm, just enough potatoes to hold the bacon in place in the bowl. <laughs> it is a spectacular, fabulous, fun summer decadence. So. That's our podcast episode for this week. We hope that you will check us out on any social media platform on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Join the conversation about this podcast at Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And otherwise, we will see you back next time for another episode of Cooking with Bruce and Mark.